BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Lottie Davis on our show today. Born in South Africa, Lottie moved to Canada at 10 years old with her family to escape the hostility of apartheid. Her heart, though, stayed behind. In 1989, Lottie and her husband founded AG Hair in the basement of their Vancouver home. AG Hair is built on the strong ethos to develop professional products using naturally sourced, plant-based ingredients for the professional hair care industry. Today, AG Hair operates out of a purpose-built Health Canada and FDA-approved building and is committed to manufacturing products formulated with healthy, safe ingredients and packaged in reusable and refillable containers. The growth of AG Hair allowed Lati to realize her dream to return to Africa in 2013, where she began to build her not-for-profit organization, One Girl Can. One Girl Can is built on three important pillars they call We Build, We Educate, We Mentor. Lati and One Girl Can have built and renovated 130 schools in Kenya to create safe learning environments. Each year, they mentor over 10,000 girls to teach goal setting, career development, job training, and leadership skills. When One Girl Can supports one girl, they stay with her from the start of high school through university and up until she has found meaningful employment and is financially independent. This is how they measure their impact on gender imbalance. Lati is motivated by the inequalities she witnessed growing up. Her passion for ending poverty and gender inequality is made possible by working with an aligned team and diverse board of directors in Kenya and Canada. Lati partners with corporate organizations, foundations, as well as YPO, a global leadership community, and engages in focusing fundraising that fuels One Girl Can through generous donations that directly support girls in Kenya. Welcome to the show, Lati. Thanks so much, Kayla. Delighted to be here. 
Delighted to have you. Uh, so let's let's dive right into our jam-packed episode for today. Uh, before we go into a few of the more targeted questions, what is the most important thing you want our audience to take away from our chat today? Well, I guess it's not to let fear or failure stop you from doing something bold. I don't think I'm here today because of anything that I've done that's heroic or uh, I haven't overcome the impossible. I would say that I'm probably here because I've got good follow through and I don't give up. And these are all qualities that anyone can easily adopt to turn their plans into action. Amazing. So you grew up in South Africa and came to Canada when you were only 10. We provided some of that context. Um, how do you think being exposed to both cultures, geographies, um, has really impacted your outlook on business and your experience as a founder? Walk us through from the very beginning of, of your lifetime. Well, I certainly didn't know it at the time, but the advantage of age and hindsight has helped me to understand how all the pieces in my life have come together as though they were intentional in the first place, like a mm. jigsaw puzzle. Innately, always been very sensitive to bullying, injustice, um, had a strong sense of fairness. And I learned at an early age growing up in the apartheid era that some people were consistently being treated with condescension, discrimination, and sometimes violence. And even as a child, I could discern that the common denominator in this behavior was skin color. So when we moved to Canada in the early 1960s, I became aware again that women were treated with the same kind of condescension and also prohibited from the opportunities that men had and always white men. So geography and cultures that I experienced early on taught me that there was a clear bias against skin color and gender and a built-in assumption that women and people with darker skin were less capable, less intelligent, weren't entitled to their opinions, and needed to do what they were told to do by men. And it's really that simple. On all along, I knew that this was wrong. And so walk us through your entrepreneurial journey and, and how, um, if at all, that was impacted. Let's start with your first venture with AG Hair. Um, you know, it's very clear that these products have been formulated intentionally and this growth um, is really rooted on that solid foundation. Why was having a strong ethos um, when, you know, building this business so important to you? Well, I think it's more than having a strong ethos. It's having a point of differentiation and mm. being in tune with what the market needs and what your customers want. You learn this by being intuitive and doing research. But I think it's mostly by asking your customers questions. Mm. When we started AG, we had no industry experience at all and no money. In fact, both my husband and I had been working for ourselves for years. And we weren't good employees. And we also didn't enjoy working for anyone else. So subsequently, we also didn't have the benefit of understanding the processes and setting up structures that are prevalent in most larger businesses. So we learned on the fly, but we were very intuitive of, about where the gaps in the market existed. And we worked closely with salons who tested our products and gave us honest feedback. We would experiment with point of purchase materials when no one was using them in our industry to see how we could help salons move the product off their shelf and become more valuable to them. Um, we initiated a program where we gave 10% discount for buying COD, and this improved our cash flow when banks weren't lending us any money. And it also gave the salons a bigger margin than any of our competitors offered. So this just further aligned them with us. Mm. Um, and I would also say that our product quality was outstanding because we made it ourselves and we tested it rigorously. Um, our marketing put us on the map with consumers and it increased sales for the salons. 
And then our cash discounts and our promotional strategy created strong loyalty with the salons and consumers alike. So AG Hair was a really important part of your journey to building One Girl Can. Can you take us back you know, to those moments where you began shifting your entrepreneurial energy to creating a second organization and what it was like um, to balance a well-grown company and starting a new charity from scratch? Walk us through that journey. It was never my intention to start a charity in Africa. But after working with an NGO that was based in Kenya, I realized that if I was ever going to have any success in impacting gender inequality, I would have to do it alone. Um, as an entrepreneur working with a bureaucratic organization like an NGO, it's like mixing oil and water. Mm. They had no accountability, no sense of urgency. And after about five years of working in Africa with this NGO, I had begun to understand that I could possibly have an impact if I were to do it um, in a way that I was familiar with. I didn't know anything about starting a not-for-profit organization. So I used essentially the same formula that I used for creating our for-profit business, AG. And I considered the girls in Kenya our customers. And so my goal was to help them achieve gender parity and become financially independent. And I learned everything I needed to know by talking to the students that we serve. And still today, we continue to evolve and build new programs every year based on their feedback and the obstacles that we encounter that get in the way of them earning a meaningful living. And that's essentially it in a nutshell. Mm. And how have you found balancing both organizations at the same time? What did that look like, um, having two ventures running simultaneously? Probably for the first... Um, I'd say seven, eight years, I ran both um, and I was directing all the marketing in the AG mm. and ran One Girl Can off the side of my desk. And then after a while, it looked like it was just really going to explode. So I started training more people in AG and I hired somebody to slowly start replacing me. And uh, it just happened organically over a period of time until I was finally able to be relatively free from the day-to-day -day, day -day operations of AG. But my company was so involved in One Girl Can at the same time mm. that there was this, this flow of marketing and information going back and forth all the time. But it gave other people an opportunity to, uh, to step up. And I was still there in a coaching position. Um, so it actually worked beautifully. Amazing. That that's so interesting to to hear, and I think um, a perspective that we don't often get on the Startup Women podcast. You know, um, looking at organizations that either you know have a for profit arm and a charitable arm, or balancing different types of business, um, is is an interesting space to be exploring. Particularly when you can take private sector best practices and implement them into a nonprofit or charity space. Um, we're seeing a lot of those best practices and and learnings navigate through different types of of business structures. Um, so very, very interesting. The synergies that we had with AG here in the beginning, One Girl Can didn't have the funds to um, account for our finances, mm. to do marketing, to develop a website, eventually the HR structure to hire new employees. So we borrowed all of these skills and, and uh, competencies from AG and our employees were thrilled to be able to, to 
directly help build one girl can um, off the side of their desk as well. Very cool. And so going to into more depth with one girl can uh, with education and mentorship being so critical to the work that you do through through that space. Um, you've even built uh, an entrepreneur academy for girls in Kenya. Holy moly. Um, how did you approach, you know, finding the right partners and building these programs and initiatives in Kenya? Walk us through how that has grown and tell us a little bit about the curriculum that has aligned with the mission of one girl can. You know, in the beginning, we created all our own workshops and we were very successful. And I will say for anybody who's um, entertaining doing something like this, everything you need to know is literally on the Internet. Um, (laughs) We've built four 90 minute comprehensive workshops for our 11 high schools and um, all the information that we needed on confidence building, leadership, goal setting, career development, There were tests that you can take by ticking boxes to find out what competencies you have, what career you should go into. All of this all existed on the internet. And um, the programs that we taught have, according to the students, really changed their lives. It's, It's taught them how to think differently. I mean, we were talking about girls who are living in extreme poverty in rural areas of Africa where running water doesn't exist. And they've never really been asked to create a vision um, and to set goals to achieve success in their lives because it was never assumed that they would be successful. We had so much success with this in high school that when these girls went on to university, we began to create workshops for university students as well. And we realized that these students were very unsuccessful, uh, sorry, very unsophisticated going into university from these rural environments. So we had to teach them how to create a a budget. We had to teach them how to show up on campus, um, the, the dangers that they could get into. We had to teach them how to eventually show up for an interview, how to write resumes, how to train to take on an internship. Um, So we were there with them every step of the way to ensure that when they encountered challenges, they had uh, mentoring and coaching on how to overcome those. And then when we started to develop an entrepreneurial training program, this was getting a little bit more challenging. So we initially hired a curriculum writer to develop a seven-day course for us. And after about two or three of the modules, we realized that this was turning into something very academic and that it wasn't going to provide uh, really practical results for girls living in Kenya. It just wasn't even applicable. Mm. So I got an introduction to Jeff Croker at UBC Sauter School of Business in Vancouver. And when I told him what we were doing and what I needed from him, it was just a perfect match. Um, Sauter students with Jeff Guidance, Jeff's Guidance have been building and teaching entrepreneurial training in Nairobi for 10 years. Um, but they had never really dealt with people living with young women who were now educated in university. They were dealing with people living in uh, the settlements, uh, informal settlements like Kibera. So they developed a customized program for young women with a university education. And it was developed primarily by young women who were taking marketing and business at Sauter School of Business. And they were mm. super exciting excited to help roll this out. And we just two weeks ago rolled out the first cohort to 32 students. Half of it was done in person in a hotel. And there was five weeks um, of uh, pre-training that was delivered through 40 online videos that the students made. Um, And then some of the students actually were in Kenya and helped deliver this as well. So 
Um, it turned out to be this really comprehensive program um, that will ultimately result in the students being able to do a pitch to a microfinancing um, company. Just absolutely brilliant. Very interesting. And, and I'm sure, you know, navigating, uh, you know, representatives, team members, and a, a notably a board of director uh, group in Canada and in Kenya would come with its own challenges that, you know, you're navigating um, two different time zones, <laughs> even just practically and logistically. Um, but culturally, you're, you're blending, um, you know, very different teams uh, across two, two different locations. Um, walk us through what it's been like to have two specific board of directors. I'm particularly interested in this space, one in Canada and one on the ground in Kenya. Um, how do these teams work together and what challenges have arisen in having this type of structure bridging two countries? Uh, I, I think what we try to do is make sure that there wasn't um, a really clear bridge between them. Mm. These are very different boards. Uh, one Girl Can is actually registered in Kenya as an NGO and therefore requires its own board of directors. Mm. And we decided that this board of directors would act mainly as an advisory board on programming in Kenya. That would be an area that they would, they would be able to give us um, very specific feedback on and be able to make introductions to the community to help us create jobs for girls, uh, introduce us to internships, um, and advise us on safeguarding policies and, and um, uh, how we represented the girls um, to the world as well. In Canada, we have a board of 13 highly accomplished women who volunteer their time to help build a strategic plan. Uh, they provide oversight on governance. And they also function to provide guidance through committees who meet monthly to help us achieve our plan. So the two boards don't work together, but they are both very instrumental in helping us scale the organization um, and introducing us to people and companies who can either help us achieve our plan um, and also um, become donors. In, in Canada, we're more of a fundraising arm. And in Kenya, we uh, implement the programming, develop and implement programming. So um, they're both very functional and very important but they don't work together. Um, so I, I think that's an important distinction. Mm, interesting. And so with AG Hair built in this kind of charity model that, that AG Hair donates directly to One Girl Can, correct? Yes. That's the structure. If other women founders want to include a model like this or explore even starting something conceptually like this, where would you recommend that they start? Because I think, uh, you know, many of our listeners might be wondering, you know, this sounds really interesting, but how do I, how do I even begin um, to consider this, this journey? What would you recommend to our listeners if they want to, to, to start on this type of path? Uh, well, let me give you a little bit of background on this. So sure. AG Hair and One Girl Can enjoy a very rich symbiotic relationship that delivers huge benefits for both organizations. Um, AG's brand loyalty and relationships with our distributor to partners and suppliers has grown palpably since I founded One Girl Can and found ways to help fund projects in Kenya well before we became a registered charity and started reaching out to the overall community for donations. If I were to offer some advice to business owners, it's that if you're not aligning your business purposes with some sort of a cause either to help provide opportunities for people who have none or to alleviate poverty or provide a pathway to equality for uh, a disenfranchised sector of society, then you're missing a key component of a successful business strategy. I think today that consumers, customers, and employees 
have come to expect this and making they make buying decisions and career decisions based on an organization's holistic model of contribution to society and to the environment, which are two of the most important global issues that are impacting all of us today. Mm. So I will say that in, in 2006, when I first started putting the building blocks together for some sort of an initiative in Kenya, I was driven by a personal need and I had no intention of involving AG here. And probably this, this uh, social responsibility element was just in its nascent stages around 2006. Mm -hmm. So this was really a personal mission for me. But when our employees and our salons found out that I'd gone to Africa, there was so much interest there and they wanted to be involved. And our, our salespeople brought the stories to the salons and it began to grow organically. They wanted to be in, involved in it. So over time, it built enormous brand awareness and loyalty for AG. Hmm. Um, it opened doors to major distributors that we'd otherwise would not have been able to get access to. I would say that creating these initiatives in Kenya and Gen in Uganda really provided tangible opportunities for young women to earn a living mm. and provide equal opportunities for them that had a huge impact on our community of customers who comprise about 90% of our demographic. We cater to women. And this was very, very relevant for them. And they felt that this was a direct conduit for them to be able to participate. They, they wanted to buy products from a company that was helping to further gender equality. They wanted to see other women become successful. So it made sense for them. Mm. And I, I would also say that candidates that we invited to interview for positions at AG routinely told us that working for an organization that gives back was a key priority for them. Mm. So, um, and that became further evidenced in the 35% of our employees now choose to personally sponsor a student themselves. So the engagement factor with business and, and uh, outwardly facing and with your employees inwardly facing, giving back, having sustainable environmental practices is now almost mandatory. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is an essential element of success. So I would really suggest that you don't need to start your own charity. You can align yourself with someone who's always already doing something, but think about the connection with your consumer and then advertise it on your website. Make sure your customers know about it. Print it on your packaging. Make it an integral part of your service. Percentage of everything that we do goes back to XYZ. That's what I would say as, uh, is so vital right now for any business to consider. Mm, we're seeing that definitely across, you know, so many for-profit um, businesses that are being built that um, they are aligning to some type of sustainable development goal or some type of, you know, space that their employees can also really resonate with, that it's not only important for the business, uh, but in terms of retention, you know, we're seeing so many people shift um, and take new jobs that are more values aligned, um, that are, you know, in the nonprofit or charitable sectors or in organizations that are making this a priority It'll be really interesting to see over the next couple of years um, how you know entrepreneurship evolves to to embed this more thoroughly uh, across so many different business structures. Um, really interesting model to see and and see if this is going to grow or build um, post pandemic as well. Yeah, it is interesting, and it became one of our three brand pillars. Mm. Giving back is the reward for our success, and our employees came up with that and and take this to heart every single day. Um, you think 
when you start building a business that once you become financially independent, that you've achieved that level, that apex of success. But really it's when you actually start giving back to the community that you really get that heartfelt sense of now I've really achieved something. Mm, I love that. I love that, Lati. Any final words of advice, Lati, to leave our listeners with um, as they're navigating their entrepreneurial journeys, the ebbs and flows, the successes and challenges? Um, any final takeaways you'd like to leave our audience with? I don't know why people always ask me this question. It's so, <laughs> so awkward for me, for me to answer. I'm not an expert on any of this. Um, really, just do what your heart tells you is right. And uh, don't ever be afraid of doing something that is bold and outside of your comfort zone. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you are a problem solver, and you'll figure out how to solve problems if you're doing it in Africa, or you're, uh, you know, you're doing it for impoverished communities, just make it a goal. And then uh, go to the through all the steps to to make that an action plan. And um, the intrinsic rewards that your company and your employees and you will get from this are simply immeasurable. Mm, amazing, Lottie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast. Uh, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better uh, and can't wait to see what's next for both One Girl Can and uh, AG Hair. Congratulations. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook, Resources for Women Entrepreneurs, with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast, hosted by Rick Spence, and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.